Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, is my co-hostess, Victoria Monday. And down in the chat room, Alina, moderating the chat. We have a fantastic show coming up for you tonight. Author, lecturer, and field researcher James Keaton is with us. I'm really interested to talk to him. He's done a lot of research out there in the Uinta Basin. So we're talking like Skinwalker Ranch, Blind Frog Ranch. Uh, he has a very, very uh interesting and educated background and he's written several books from and james is what i want to talk to you about uh how you've written uh these books uh, fictional books but they dive into all of this interesting activity that's out there and uh it's for a younger crowd to really introduce them to this phenomenon so first of all you know welcome to the show i appreciate uh, having you on thanks thanks for having me how are y'all doing Great. <laughs> Doing pretty well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, tell us about uh, this work that you've been doing. Like, like I said, you know, these are fictional books, but um, you you present all this fantastic information to the readers. So uh, I, I guess, you know, how did you first get into this and why did you take this angle on this research? Sure. So. Um, initially, when I'd written my original book, Dark Shadows and Catastrophe, uh, I was still in private investigations. And uh, if I'd come out and said the things I did and let people know it was real, I probably wouldn't have had a job the next day. So uh, I figured I would, dis I would disguise uh, a lot of the, the real occurrences in that, uh, especially since it dealt with shadow figures uh, in my personal life. Um, so I really enjoyed writing the fiction. Uh, you know, not only could I uh, tell and explain to people uh, what had occurred and then in other books research uh, into uh, past history and all that, but uh, I, I just enjoyed being able to create something. Um, you know, I always loved uh, the paranormal horror science fiction, and I figured, well, why not just meld them all together? And after doing that for a while, uh, I, uh, after I was, had finished with assessment and private investigations, I started doing some teaching, uh, on the side. And I realized that the, uh, the younger audience, they knew absolutely nothing, uh, really about ufology. Uh, they were into a lot of the paranormal that's taking place, but they only seemed to watch one or two shows that present just the same uh, details or use the same technology and, and you never really are told uh, what the technology really is. It's just kind of, oh, this is uh, this reading I got, it's crazy or, or this, this meter is spiking and you never got the, the real science behind it. So I figured, you know what, why not uh, introduce the children to ufology, to the paranormal, but to not just that aspect that they're aware of, but really what people are trying to find or, or what the end game is in hopes of maybe one day that paranormal becoming actual scientific uh, knowledge. So uh, I said, you know what? The first one will be the UFO and an alien. Um, the second one will be about uh, shapeshifters and then the third one, I wanted to bring directly uh, everybody in that uh, 
that age group, about 10 to 14 years of age, uh, to Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, even though the shapeshifters took place there as well, I wanted them to be fully immersed into the location on the Uinta Basin. And I figured, why not cover cryptids at the same time? So uh, over the course of the last three years, we did uh, ufology and other cryptids, anthropomorphic creatures, and now I'm done. So I'm working on my first nonfiction, uh, nonfiction <laughs> book. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. A lot of our viewers are, you know, very interested in, of course, the, the television show that that's out there now uh, about Skinwalker Ranch. So, uh, let me ask you, what do you think is really going on out there? Yeah. So whatever is energetic or whatever, uh, causes or, or creates uh, this paranormal activity, there's many different types of events occurring. And they seem to, for some reason, be feeding off of the location and what that energy is. And after, it's kind of interesting because for the first five or six years, I had been leaning in one direction. And in the last six months, we've found so much new information and details and things have occurred that I've changed in what I believe is happening based upon the data points collected, uh, you know, what's been seen. And really, it seems to be that whatever is taking place is caused by whatever's underground. Uh, there's something very energetic. Uh, I, I believe it's magnetic. Uh, based upon data points uh, being collected. And there's a unique uh, substances, metals, minerals, I guess you could say it's hydrocarbons. There's something specifically called gilsonite, which is only found in three places in the world. And the gilsonite on the Uintah Basin happens to be uh, the best of this product. And, and its properties when mixed with probably the piezoelectric abilities because of all the quartz at the location on the Uintah Basin. It's very saline water in uh, underground. You just have this coming together of so many. Uh, it, it's like it, it, it's almost as if everything's just melding together there at the right time, the right place. And it hasn't just been for a hundred years. You know, when I initially uh, started this off, uh, I, I'm, I, I would consider myself an avocational archaeologist. That was what I was degreed in from the University of California at Santa Barbara. And uh, I tracked Mesoamerican culture and I tracked it all the way up to Utah and was big into the petroglyphs and the pictographs. And it was amazing to me what I was seeing that these anthropomorphic creatures and, and these objects were just, they shouldn't belong from two, three, 4,000 years ago. It looked more like I was watching a science fiction movie or a paranormal movie from our current age. And I had heard of Skinwalker Ranch and, and I was uh, barely familiar with it four, five, six years ago. And I was surprised to find out that it was within several miles of many of these locations. And so I delved into that. And it's crazy to see what they're talking about now. You know, multiple past cultures saw the Fremont saw it, the Barrier Canyon style people saw it. And then we have this really 
unknown culture. They're so unknown that anthropologists and archaeologists have them labeled as unknown culture, but they were putting in the same stuff that we're seeing and experiencing today. And it's just amazing because uh, what you find in Utah uh, is very rare, even uh, in regards to those uh, ancient past cultures. And it's just incredible to have this continuation for what I believe is 4,500 plus years of paranormal events taking place. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating. There's there's a lot to unpack in everything that you just said, from um, you know the uh, the ancient cultures to I, I, I want to go back uh, before we get into those because you know, everything about you know the different cultures, the petroglyphs, all that to me is extremely fascinating. I, I love history, uh, but I do want to touch on the energy for a moment. You uh, you mentioned the geology there, the water that's there, uh, but I want to ask you about um, you know, the, the Earth's energy grid, the telluric currents within the Earth, that, that plays into it as well. And of course, people also want to know if there is a, uh, you know, extraterrestrial component there as well. Is there something extraterrestrial buried in the ground uh, along with all of these things that's helping to feed this? So I, I wouldn't go into saying extraterrestrial. What I'll, I, I would tell people is there's technology there that's ancient. I lean more towards an ancient past culture or civilization where they originated from. I couldn't tell you, uh, it, you know, it could even be interdimensional or, uh, what I believe uh, there's many portal events there and, and this energy is transient. It moves around and it creates portals in multiple locations. It's been documented as far back as, uh, the mid 1990s by NIDS. Uh, and then Bass, when uh, Robert Bigelow owned the the uh, ranch, and Junior Hicks, who had been doing this for 55 years. And, uh, you know, you have these events, and, and I'm almost positive I'm going to be going up there in a week. And we've no. – I, I don't want to ruin, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure – you need all the things. I hopefully, get it. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm pretty sure that we're going to uh, bring new information out in regards to what's underground. And we're doing that by trying to find our way underground. Uh, Let me ask you this. Are you at least going to talk about that at the UFO Mega Conference? Oh, you bet. Absolutely. Oh, right. uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to present a lot of new information that really gets into uh, the energy, uh, where it may be coming from the past historical data. And from what a lot of pet people read from uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker, I'm going to tie in uh, events that they've discussed in the book and, and tell you what I'm pretty sure, uh, what it's from or, or how the occurrence was capable of taking place. And um, I want to give this bigger location that it's, it's not just Skinwalker Ranch, uh, or Blind Frog Ranch, but you're talking about a very energetic, uh, area in electromagnetic, uh, you know, in the EMF field, in, uh, the magnetic field. And I want to actually show you real collected data points, um, 
using, you know, real um, technology. I, I'll, I'll have a vector magnetometer, uh, gradiometer, which uses 3D ground imaging, which allows me to look 54 feet into the ground and see oh, what's nice. there and capture it. And uh, the GPR, I use ground penetrating radar, but it's very difficult for people to uh, read and, and see the data unless you're familiar with how it forms. But with the 3D ground imaging, it's amazing what it's capable of showing people. And uh, I, I'm hoping to actually be able, uh, in the week that I'm up there, have even more additional information uh, that I can throw in. I'll, I'll be back for three days at home, and I'm hoping I can fit it in somewhere into the presentation <laughs> that I've already got set up and ready to go. Uh, but you know what, if there's a huge discovery, I, I'm, that may end up taking the whole two hours I have just to be able to, uh, you know, hey, look, this is what we found. And yeah. uh, I'm going to be spending a lot of time uh, on on the ranch, uh, Blind Frog Ranch, and uh, in the Skinwalker Ranch area, and in Fort Duchesne. And I'm going to tie in, you know, the, the Ute uh, history into uh what's going on and my take that has changed in the last six months like i was kind of telling you about the skinwalkers mm -hmm. uh which are supposedly the navajo the Diné, uh or the yinablushi as they call themselves right so for everybody that's uh watching and listening that presentation from james is going to be at the uh, laughlin ufo mega conference june 6th through 12th so you can uh, get the information for that, uh, ufomegaconference.com. So uh, we're both going to be there, and that's going to be I'm, – I'm really looking yes. forward to your presentation and all of that. So, Victoria, I know you have some I'm questions. I'm looking forward to yours. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, I do want to talk to you about shadow entities since you've had that experience before. But sure. I'll, I'll let Victoria uh, ask a few questions here first. <laughs> well – I tried to catch up at work because I really don't know anything about the Skinwalker Ranch. And I was in so deep in a rabbit hole that just went everywhere. So I have a couple of questions that are kind of loose end questions that maybe you could tie up and then I can throw in my question, really. Um, did the um, Hohokam and the Mogian, did they morph over into the Aztec tribes? Yeah, so... I, I'm pretty sure, and, and you'll get, uh, you know, depending on which anthropologist or archaeologist you, you talk to, they're going to tell you yes or no. And remember, uh, as whoever was originating in the Uintah Basin in that area of Utah, uh, they turned out Azteca, okay. and they also turned out uh, the Nahuas of uh, Shiwakan which is on the west coast of Mexico, which 20 years ago, the anthropologists and archaeologists told you that's BS. There is no ancient cultures over there. They were too far away from the Maya. Well, they're wrong. There's this huge pyramid there that is, you know, topped off completely in clay that uh, tells them, no, wrong. So, yeah, as they moved southward, uh, many of the Mugion, uh, the Hohokam, uh, the other uh uh, tribes uh, or groups went with them. Now, remember, some of them stuck around, and that's probably what formed uh, the tribes that we see today, along with uh, this migration in and out of uh, Canada uh, or further north down, like the Navajo and the Apache are from the north. They're, mm -hmm. they're not from uh, the area that the Utah. And what's interesting is you can trace that. 
because what the uh, the Ute uh, speak uh, or the Paiute is a Uto Azteca language, which uh, you can see through the Toltec, uh, you know, the Azteca, uh, all these uh, indigenous people, all the way down to Mexico City when it was Tenochtitlan. Right. Because I used to live out by the superstitions and I couldn't help but compare the two, like Skinwalker Ranch and the superstitions. They have so many similarities. Um, you know, the superstitions are volcanic, so there's the lava tubes, and the uh, the Utes had the mining tunnels. And um, I guess my real question is, did the Aztecs um, have stories of the, well, I've been calling them the ant aliens, the insectoids? So it, it, the ant people are, through all the cultures of the desert Southwest, even into Mexico. Specifically okay. though, with the Azteca, it, it's not prominent. Uh, I haven't investigated that or gone into that because my research uh, is more in regards to the older uh, groups that were here, Olmec and pre-Olmec. Um, but okay. you have to think that that's an absolute yes. If, if the origination took place in Utah, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we see the Zuni Pueblo um, and these other groups that originated from the Hisatsanam or the ancestral Pueblo because we, you know, we don't use Anasazi anymore. It's very derogatory. Uh, but <laughs> as they came, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I had somebody uh, call me out on that on one of my videos before. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that. People don't know that, that that changed. I, yeah. I didn't know it all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all those years I lived there, I didn't know. So sorry. Um, okay, so my real question no, no, no. is, <laughs> because I'm well, a fan we're of the educating, Hollow Earth. You know, that's what it is. <laughs> I'm a fan of the Hollow Earth. Um, it was, if, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, it was a derogatory term by, was it the Navajo to the... Navajo, absolutely. Yeah. Right, well, what the Navajo did was when they were working with the archaeologists, uh, you know, the Navajo got together and said, hey, we're, we'll... We'll tell them that they were the Anas, you know, the Anasazi, um, and the archaeologists and anthropologists didn't know better, you know, mm -hmm. their European descent, and it's stuck. And you know, the Navajo go back over and they're laughing at them, and uh, the the Zuni Pueblo and those that uh, descended from the descendants from them. Um, have pushed for this for quite a while, and it really hasn't caught on until about the last, I'd say, 15 years. And, and there was a time when we didn't know what to call them. Are they Hisatsanam? Are they Ancestral Pueblo? And I think the best thing is just to use Ancestral Pueblo because it, it mm. covers a, a broader grouping of those that were in the Four Corner region uh, all the way over into East uh, New Mexico area of, current, uh, of the current United States. Well, that was one of my things because you just said the, the Navajo kind of pulled a fast one. Um, and from what I was reading, um, there was a time when the Utes actually enslaved the Navajo to do the mining. And then, you know, whatever, they freed themselves or the soldiers came or whatever. And I know the Skinwalker is part of the Navajo um, history. Do you think perhaps the Navajo basically cursed the Utes and say, okay, you're going to go over there, Skinwalker dude? And that's why he's over there. But I, I'm still drawing comparisons between um, the superstitions <laughs> and um, <laughs> Skinwalker Ranch, you know, because 
what if the ant alien people came and brought them down because of a cataclysmic event and there's radiation that's what's making the um skinwalker ridge light up or is it the radiation from the bombs in the 50s when they were testing the 40s and the 50s so i don't think it was <laughs> from uh from the, the nuclear testing, uh, when they tested it in Nevada and all that wind was blowing yeah. eastward, there's something underground. And it's interesting because you're, you're, you're stealing a bit of my thunder from my lecture. I'm kidding. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but no, no, I, I'll get into it slightly. So I, I'm a firm believer also that uh, whatever is underground has been there for a very long time. And who those people discussed, I believe they were uh, the originators. And, you know, when you talk about Native American folklore and mythology, you're talking about being in the third or the fourth world uh, yeah. that uh, they were destroyed by different ways. The last one by a great deluge. And in order to have survived that, they had to go underground and they had to have lived there for a very long time which like you said if there's lava tubes or a lot of limestone gave them a lot of time to uh, you know expand on what was naturally there mm -hmm. and that took place you had all these mines and you're right uh, in at the beginning of your question in regards to uh, them enslaving uh, that has just been going it, it's back and forth you know the paiute yeah. uh, were enslaved at one point uh, then the Navajo, then the Spaniards came and enslaved the Ute to do the mining in those locations. Uh, and the Mexicans, when they took over, did the same thing. And uh, they incorporated, uh, they loved to sell their children to uh, the Spaniards and the Mexicans, uh, which caused uh, warring between the Mormons and the Ute. But... Uh, when I told you I had changed a, a bit in what my belief system was as to what was taking place, uh, here's my take on it. Now, the Yinablushi, who are what we know as the skinwalkers, are very self-serving. Uh, they only care about themselves. They hate the other Navajo. So why would the Navajo have asked a skinwalker to curse the Utes? If they came across a skinwalker, they would have probably killed it and, and not asked for it. And, and what would the have been that self-serving game? Um, so who the skinwalkers are is what I'm going to present in my presentation, um, again, based upon some historical data and uh, some findings and incorporating what I think has been taking place, especially with the, the United States government involved uh, through uh, OSAP and ATIP specifically with Bob Bigelow on Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, and I'm gonna kind of go into who I believe the Skinwalker or Skinwalkers are. Okay, I have one more question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm lied, I really have more. Um, the Utes were mining for gold, right? And the superstitions, you got Jacob Waltz, the Lots Dutchman, the gold mines and everything. When I lived out in Mesa, every couple of days, I would see those black helicopters flying over to the superstitions. Is there like some sort of UFO thingy going on over at the superstitions too that we're just not talking about? Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, lately I've got into 
When I was a police officer, I was trained in using a stalker KA radar gun and laser gun. And, you know, today when you present videos to people um, that you took of UAP, they laugh. They're like, oh, that's fake. It's not real. Um, and, and, you know, you're right. I, I don't even believe it because anybody can go on the computer now and create whatever they want. Um, so I'm using a KA gun now to fire uh, about 34 gigahertz uh, at orbs or UAP that we come across. And what I saw on the basin, I saw at the Superstition Mountains. And since I live down the street like you from the Superstitions, well, guess where I've been going every other day. <laughs> and, and remember, too. Uh, Goldfield? For, <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and two for that one yeah. that one orb that I finally get to investigate. I've been out there 10, 11, 12, 13 times and finally it happens. So it's oh, not like I go out there and I summon them to me. Oh, I wish I could. <laughs> but, yeah, so you're exactly right. It, it, it's uh it's a very unique area, you know that you had Geronimo mm -hmm. that yes. somehow escaped the United States cavalry all the time and would show up in New Mexico. So how did he go from the superstition mountains to central New Mexico? Well, it was through underground cavern systems. Uh -huh. Yeah, because those are hard to hike. I mean, we I never made it to the top and, and people are still dying right. out there, seasoned hikers. And um, you said something about Marfa in one of your discussions. Are those the same orbs when you call the orbs in Marfa, um, the same orbs, are they spaceships or, or crafts? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I believe I believe the Marfa lights are uh, anomalous events created by the faults, uh, the faults that are out there. Uh, okay. The way they act, yeah, it just seems very random. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have any any uh, sentient uh, ability to it. And I'm really only looking for one particular type of orb, and those are orange. Uh, and just due to the fact that portals that I believe are being created have some orange energy involved in their creation, or at least uh, when you see them, that's the color uh, around it or somehow involved inside of it. And uh, other than that, I don't, know, I don't go chasing orbs. I, I really just want one specific type. I've actually seen that because when I was out at Marfa, they were going along and they were white and blue and they connect and they go up and they turn orange and blue and yellow and gold and I, I mean, it's not headlights if they're going up and doing this and they merge and right it's i don't know mike you need to go <laughs> I, i'll definitely get out there one of these days for sure so um well we're about halfway through the show if you can believe that i do want to get to some of these questions from our uh, viewers we're running live here on the edge of the rabbit hole youtube channel want to also thank those who listen in later on on spotify and iHeartRadio and other podcasting platforms as well as kgra radio where we are syndicated on uh, at midnight on fridays so first question here from one of our viewers robert hannah uh, does James believe any secret military activity at Skinwalker Ranch and area? So currently, no. Uh, in the past, yes. Uh, what that was, I mean, obviously, I'm not privy to. I, I think uh, if I had to venture, 
had a, a guess, I would think of some type of cloaking ability. Uh, they were they were testing something that could cloak, and I think that that technology was available underground, and that's what they were specifically looking for. Um, but yeah, during uh, I mean, obviously, you know, OSAP ATIP was the funding uh, was $23 million from the United States government to Bigelow, uh, to Skinwalker Ranch. So yes, in the past, no currently. Okay. Uh, and I just scrolled past it. Where'd it go? <laughs> Find this question now. Uh, it's from Darren boss off of, uh, Facebook. So, oh, here it is. Uh, from Darren, question, do you think aliens are walking alongside of us on the sidewalks in malls? Uh, so again, um, I, I have a, a lot of trouble with saying something is extraterrestrial when there's a better possibility of it having been from an ancient past culture or civilization that maybe has survived in, in portions or in some way, shape or form. Um, or I would go more with the possibility of, uh, uh, dimensional interdimensional type of travel or abilities, uh, that are just easier. It's already here. It's available. And it just seems that it presents itself a greater, uh, possibility for that to be what's taking place now it could have been extraterrestrials that have lived here for a long time sure uh where they originated from i i obviously i couldn't tell you that okay oh totally fair enough uh and then from candy orton do you know uh brand fugel the owner of skinwalker ranch and have you actually been on the property yes yes and yes <laughs> yes and yes. There you go, Candy. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, yeah, a totally fascinating uh, topic. And we will uh, swing back uh, around uh, to to uh, Skinwalkers and the Uinta Basin. But I do want to ask you, James, because I have a personal interest. I know you've, uh, you've had uh, interaction with, a, uh, with shadow entities. So... What's been your experience? I, I always get slightly uncomfortable talking about it, but um, so when right before I was two years of age, uh, I drowned and uh, I wasn't even located uh, for about seven to 10 minutes. And it took uh, a while for me to be resuscitated. Um, and I believe that I guess what took place in the course of uh, my drowning, maybe it played into having this openness to other entities or other locations. And when I was about four years old, I started having a shadow figure uh, just wreak a lot of havoc in my life. Uh, when I was living in uh, La Habra, California, it's, I didn't have anything happen until we moved into this brand new house that was on a hillside in La Habra. And then it was just nonstop until we finally moved from that location. 
once we moved from that location, it happened one other time when I was about eight years old and we lived in Paradise Valley, California. And then one final event with this specific shadow figure when I was about 14 or 15 years old in El Paso, Texas, and then never again. But uh, it was physical. Uh, and it, it's interesting. And my take on shadow figures is mine had what seemed to be like a hunter's cap. And oh, it always formed it always formed in the same location and it always seemed to be like this darker area formed before it came out of it. So I have this feeling that the hats that we see are their ability or their technology in order to come across from wherever they're from, because it always seems that when you discuss shadow figures, there seems to be so many hats involved. Uh, whether it's a, 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 a tall hat uh, or a hunter's cap. Um, and it's, it's rare that there's these uh, physical interactions, but mine at one point even interacted with my mother and father in a, in a malevolent uh, way, a physical way. So all the times I was horrified to go to bed and, and told them, you know, there's this thing coming out and, you know, you know, whatever it was doing and didn't get believed. Finally, they did, they did believe. And, and uh, we moved soon after. So I'm hoping that that was part of the reason why we finally moved. <laughs> Can I ask so, you a question real quick? Um, did your little hang on just a second, uh, Victoria, because <laughs> I do want to uh, present. We do have a $5 super Whoa. chat from Jennifer Bloomer. So thank you very much, Jennifer. Absolutely appreciate that. So she is a super chat superstar this evening. Thank you, Jennifer. So go ahead, Victoria. Did your little sister see the shadow person? She was too little. Uh, when we lived at that house, she had just been born. And I don't believe she was more than a year old when we moved okay. uh, from that location. Um, but you, oh, uh, um, just real quick. The, the, uh -huh. Oh, just real quick, the, re the reason why I wrote the fictional novel, Dark Shadows and Catastrophe, was, uh, again, um, I had, in 1997, had started writing uh, it as a non-fictional uh, novel or book, and uh, I had called it The Evil Pan, because that's what this reminded me of, was a, a Peter Pan, just uh, to the very malevolent degree. And, uh, you know, then I was in law enforcement uh, and then in private investigation for large corporations where if I had continued to do that, I would have no longer, you know, had that job. So it was just kind of my way around it. And it was very difficult for me to talk about, um, especially years ago, because, you know, it, it's still very taboo for a lot of people. And they look at they look at you like you know you're full of you're full of it. It's all BS. And people tell you they they tell me this you know oh he's a cop he's good at making up stories and all that that that's not true. Yeah, yeah. you know a lot of people have seen it. The the great thing was it finally interacted with two adults, and for me that just helped that I, I I wasn't making up well I knew I wasn't making up because I'd be bruised or have a cut or something which there was no way I could do that 
But um, yeah, I just wanted to, to throw that. That was the reason why. And, and as I move forward and I'm going to stick to nonfiction from now, I'm going to delve deeper into my experience because uh, I really feel it tied into my, uh, my near-death experience and what those abilities or capabilities were. And, and remember, too, if you read Dark Shadows and Catastrophe, I'd say about 40 or 50 percent of it is real, but but I did incorporate it into fiction. So not everything occurred. If you meet me in person or you buy a book and I'm there, a lot of times I'll have a book where I've like uh, post-it noted, you know, what what really happened and what didn't. And as we move forward in the nonfiction sense, I, I'm I'm just going to put it all out there. Uh, you know, what really occurred and, and how it occurred and, and what I think it was and what for. Um, Let I me have... ask you this. Um, the, this experience <laughs> that you had, you okay, Victoria? I have one more question. <laughs> okay. It's fine. Well, you can always come back to it. Um, with this experience that you've had, experiences that you've had with this, uh, with this shadow entity, and it sounds like it was primarily at one location, but did seem to follow you because they had a couple more experiences. Um, do you find uh, correlation similarities between uh, you know, what you experienced there and some of this additional research that you've done with, with skinwalkers and, and other entities? So again, remember I told you I'm, I'm really interested in these orange orbs and mm-hmm. everything comes down to does the location have to have this energetic capability? Uh, it, something that allows for this energy to build upon and then create some type of uh, interdimensional portal. And, and I think that there's multiple types of portals, especially on the Uintah Basin. I think that uh, we're capable and we have seen, even in the petroglyphs, different uh, entities there that are you can see in all the anthropomorphic uh, creatures that are in the petroglyphs and i always tell people too you you know where you can substantiate that more from is the fact that what we see in our daily life what the barrier canyon style people should have seen in their daily life they didn't draw this or peck it they were very focused on these atypical anthropomorphic looking creatures and you got to ask yourself, was it that prevalent at the time they were here? Was the energy uh, to a larger degree available for this to be happening? Was there some type of cataclysmic event, a plasma event that energized this specific area, uh, which would go with maybe the possibility of how the gilsonite formed as well from hydrocarbons? So there's a lot that plays into that. And, and um, yeah, I, again, I, I think it comes to these shadow figures have some type of capability or ability to cross over. And it has to be technology even with them. And that's why I, I, I often wonder, you know, what the hell are they doing wearing hats? Unless that hat is some type of tech that we're unaware of. Go ahead, Victoria. Okay. Um, this is about your NDE. You don't have to go into it. Anything. I know it's personal. Um, but you were talking about um, 
how everything existed all at the same time, the past, the present, the future, and you didn't have to speak and you didn't have to hear, but it was all there. Would that be the same as like being the pinpoint inside a kaleidoscope and then everything just kind of going around? Or is that totally you, off base? You know what? No, no, because this is when, when I, I listen to all these other NDE experiences where they see their family or they see these lights or they're in heaven. That's absolutely not what I experienced. And I, I have this amazing memory recall from the moment I was drowning uh, and to the degree where it's almost as an adult's memory. I remember absolutely everything from before the age of two from that point on. And I, I have a lot of difficulty explaining what it was because it's not the same senses that we use or are aware of now. So I almost have this, when somebody tells about an NDE and it somewhat matches what I experienced, I know they actually had it because there was no need to see anything because you're not using your visual cortex or eyeballs to, to see it. You're in a different form of energy you're connected with absolutely everything and it's immediate. So what I always tell people is when you have these people in a, a seance and they summon and it's almost immediate, I get it because if everything is connected, that's exactly what I experienced. Everything was immediate. It was a connection. We were all part of this collective. Uh, you didn't touch, you didn't, you did feel, but it was in a different uh a different way. You didn't, uh, it wasn't evil. It wasn't good. It was just absolutely everything all at once. And it was fantastic. It wasn't a negative experience at all. Well, I mean, other than the drowning part, which was horrific. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, you know, it, that wasn't good, but the after part was, was just a, an amazing experience. And I didn't care if I came back or not, but you know what, I'm, I'm glad to have had almost another 50 years. So. So I, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm yeah. grateful. We're, we're glad you came back, back too. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I have a couple other questions here from, uh, from our viewers. Get to a couple more of these uh, from Emily Minzhaus. Are skinwalkers in the same class as reptilians? No, I, I don't believe so. And, and again, uh, when I give my presentation, um, I think the skinwalkers that are, on the Uintah Basin is something completely different. Now, if we're talking about the Diné and the Yinald Lushi and their ability to shapeshift, uh, that is something that goes into Adishkash, which is dark magic uh, practiced by the Diné. Uh, and it's completely different than the reptilians. Uh, th that would be, I, I you know, and I, I'm not familiar with reptilians. I, you know, I see that uh, a lot as a additional species. Uh, could it have been a past culture or civilization? Absolutely. You know, when we see the dinosaurs, it could have easily been a, a crossing over point uh, between that species and those that we see today. But yeah, uh, completely separate in my opinion. Okay. Uh, from... Betty Lange, Betty's grand old folks. How are the children's books received? Do you get questions from them? Yeah, so remember, too, uh, it's fictional. So uh, I, I 
I like to put in morals. I, I teach about the difference between equality and equity uh, in the first book, The UFO and an Alien. Uh, I, I incorporate other uh, aspects of life, you know, um, the growing pains of being a teenager. And I include I information in ufology because I, I, when you go to these UFO uh, conventions and you look around, the average age is getting up there. I, I'd probably yeah, say it's in the 60s. <laughs> and, yeah. And there's, there's very few children. And so I, I, you know, I talked to the kids that I were, was teaching at the time and, you know, they provide amazing information and a wealth of knowledge as to, you know, what they believe. And it was just totally off. So uh, instead of just being able to discuss it with a few, I, I tried to incorporate what our discussions were in the classroom into those books. And I'm hoping that, uh, it presents, you know, not just uh, a new uh, dimension or, or category for them to go and research, but to also see that there's more to it than just those couple shows they watch on television. That, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I hate to say it, but it, it's not all. It's not all to it. it it's not all encompassing, and right. they they skip the important details sometimes. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, I have a question for you, actually, for Victoria, because I'm surprised she did not ask this earlier. <laughs> yet, yet. <laughs> uh, well, when you're talking about um, you know some of the different insectoids and uh, you know living underground, so are are these uh, creatures or entities that could possibly be living into what a lot of people refer to as hollow earth? I, I Victoria loves how on to something. <laughs> I, I was trying to allude to that. So, <laughs> yeah. So you have to look at what's going on below ground. Um, in the presentation, I, I've taken a lot of time and I'm going into great detail as to what that is encompasses on the Uintah Basin um, that think if you if you think about it if this was a location where the ancestors survived a major catastrophic event that would be treated as a shrine or uh, to the indigenous people that follow you, you know that that's a memorial and they don't want people to know about it they don't want people to touch it but if those ancestors lived there for so long and there may have been precious metals or other minerals there. You know, they had to get rid of all. They had to carve that out. The, the Utes didn't care for the yellow gold that the Spaniards killed them for. You know, they, they made a few trinkets out of it, but they were more interested in shells, in turquoise, uh, what was sparkly. And... So all that got deposited elsewhere as this was being carved out to survive in. And I, I'm going to ruin my own presentation, but yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, it, it could definitely, we have these stories in our uh, mythology and folklore. Uh, it, it fits in with middle earth. I mean, if people had to live underground for hundreds of years until they could resurface, you bet. I mean, what else could you call it at that point? 
And uh, for, for those that are tuning in a, a little bit on the later side, the presentation that uh, James is, uh, keeps referring to is at the Laughlin UFO Mega Conference. That is June 6th through 12th. So coming up here uh, pretty soon. James, what day is your presentation? I am Wednesday, June the 9th, I believe at 1.15, right after lunch. Okay. okay. And what's great, too, is right after me, is going to be the owner of Blind Frog Ranch, who's a good oh. friend of mine. So he oh, he's going to present yeah. the ufology that goes behind it. Yeah, I was looking at the lineup, and it seems like Wednesday is really like the Uinta Basin day. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, Victoria, what else you have? I know you have a bunch of other questions over there. <laughs> that was pretty much a hollow earth, hollow earth. Um, <laughs> what's the difference between a Wendigo and a Skinwalker? I'm other than the Wendigo was on Super or Supernatural with Sam and Dean. I don't I don't know about Skinwalkers. You know, I I think they're they're one and the same. It's just how the folklore and the myth, mythology came about. Uh, and remember too that what we consider folklore and mythology to the Native Americans is historical data. So I apologize for even saying that. Um, their historical data is just different. But even when you're discussing the giants, they just have a different name for them. But they all are represented the same way. They're these tall white race that were here. They were regal. You know, they considered them kings and queens. And their technology and abilities were tenfold over the other indigenous people. So same with uh, the shapeshifters. Um, you have a, a little different offshoot, maybe based upon a geographic uh, location that could play into that. Uh, remember that the skinwalker, the Yinalvlushi, is uh, mostly for the desert southwest uh, region of the United States. And... Uh, for some of the, the groups like the Navajo, it's incorporated far more into uh, their history than uh, additional groups around them, uh, even if they come from the same place like the Apache. Mm -hmm. now, you so, said the uh, hang on a second, uh, Victoria, <laughs> because I want, to, I want to follow up on that because um, to kind of, um, for, for my understanding, because this is the way I've kind of related the two, because uh, Wendigos seem to be uh, a lot more, I mean, they're, they're cannibalistic. Uh, so to kind of simplify it, I guess, in my own head, I kind of, um, you know, put skinwalkers as a shapeshifter in the realm of like werewolves and Wendigo being cannibalistic in the realm of like zombies. I mean, again, kind of really simplifying it. But what do you think, James? Remember that the the skinwalkers practice Adishgash, which is dark magic. Uh, and in order to become a skinwalker, uh, they have to do some pretty terrible things. Well, they have uh, to they have to believe, murder a loved one kill, and, and things like that. Yeah, right. Kill a loved one or sleep with uh, a sibling. It gets you, you go deeper into it. Um, you know, you start getting into certain things. You, when you're discussing things of that topic, you know, depending on which uh, indigenous people, which Native American tribe you're talking to, you know, even in regards to their giants, many were cannibals, some weren't, you know, and you've 
got to look and find out why, where was that difference or where did they break off and, and go on to different routes? So I, I think they origin or whatever is origin is probably the same. And, and at some point, uh, again, I, I think geography still takes helps shape that a lot. And it just depends on what tribe you're looking at to the point where, you know, how, how great does that mythology go in regards to cannibalism or shape shifting or the two combining one being, you know, more of uh, taking on living creatures, the other being almost the walking dead. Go ahead, Victoria. Um, are the skinwalkers only found um, in Utah or are they found everywhere? No, no. So they're, they're mostly in the desert Southwest. So, uh, you're going to find them a lot more where the Navajo nation is in the four corners regions. Okay. Um, you, you will find that they don't like to discuss it because if they discuss it, that means, you know, bad things are going to happen to them. Mm -hmm. They're almost inviting it or, you know, they're gonna the, the, you know, Lucy are going to come after them because they don't want them to be known that they're there or what they do. Sympathetic magic is basically, right. you know, along with the dark magic, you're talking about sympathetic magic as well with that Ishgash. Okay. That, that was pretty much all my questions. There. <laughs> right. But this is so fascinating. I mean, just the, the comparison, I was just going, Oh, look at this was in Arizona too, you know, cause I lived out by AJ <laughs> and yeah. it's just so interesting how it ties into, um, the, I'm sorry, I don't know the name of the basin, the U, U something basin. The Uinta basin. That, that, that place. Yes. It's just, I just find it sure. so interesting because, you know, I mean, even the gold, the mineral, the tubes, the, you know, the mythology, I, I know the superstitions people, had superstitions about you'd lose your head. And I thought a lot of that was the Apaches were actually mutilating people and to scare them off. So they wouldn't actually go up into superstitions. That's just. Yeah, I think it's a way. little bit of, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both. Yeah. So it's just fascinating. All right. <laughs> Last question here from our viewers. I'll uh, bring it back to Candy Orton again. Uh, what and who are under Mount Shasta? Inquiring minds need to know. <laughs> Candy, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, honest answer. There you go. No idea. <laughs> well, uh, we only have a few minutes left here, James. It's been absolutely fascinating getting a chance to talk to you. I can't wait to talk to you out at uh, the Laughlin UFO Mega Conference. But um, we've I've only been showing these three books, but uh, you have seven, actually. So you want to talk a little bit uh, about the books that you do have available and where people can find them? <laughs> sure. Uh, you can go to Amazon.com forward slash author forward slash James Keenan. And all the books are there for you to uh, look at. Uh, one is I, I no longer have available, uh, but uh, six of them are available. The first one is Dark Shadows and Catastrophe. Uh, the next one is the continuation of that, which is 10, 22, 20, 36. <laughs> and then 
I have shoplifting in a paranormal zone, which is based uh, a lot on uh, what took place when I worked at a specific location in um, retail loss prevention. Uh, this was a very old building. And uh, there's some very interesting things that took place, not just to me, uh, I incorporated uh, what happened to other people into the main character as well. So uh, again, like I said, I, I, at the time I couldn't, uh, you know, just come out and write it as it, you know, right. with, plus I didn't want them to, I didn't want other people to, you know, their names be used unless they wanted it that way. So it was just easier to incorporate into a fictional character. Totally understandable. And again, you'll be speaking at the Laughlin UFO Mega Conference. Uh, and you said it was Wednesday the 9th. So I just want to make sure to get that straight. So everybody come out and watch James. Uh, it's going to be an absolutely fascinating reveal of all of his uh, research. So I know I'm definitely looking mm -hmm. forward to it. So, all right. So thank, thank you. you very much, James, for for coming out and uh, speaking with us tonight um again truly truly fascinating topic and really i think we're just hitting the uh, tip of the iceberg here with all of this oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah that's uh, absolutely there's so much going on you, you know it's very rare in this world to be able to see so much phenomena take place in such a small, tiny location, uh, especially on Skinwalker Ranch, it's only 512 acres. And what goes on there and on the surrounding ranches is, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, a lot of people have lived there and they haven't experienced it, or, or maybe they just didn't realize what was going on. But uh, when you focus in on it, um, it's just an amazing opportunity to be able to partake of that and not just skinwalker ranch but blind frog ranch is yeah extremely unique especially what's underground there Ooh, that was a tease yeah, it, it's, it? yeah. <laughs> well they have a show for that one that too, victoria ah oh. <laughs> oh. okay yeah. So, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to definitely uh, interesting to see all of your research on that. So again, thank you, James, very much for coming out this evening and I'll see you in a few weeks. Yep, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It was nice. Have to a meet great you. night. <laughs>